Little acorns are apparently involved in the origin story of Mighty Oaks, which is handy, otherwise how would we be able to teach the young about change and growth and evolving business models? And without evolving business models, where would Rob Long find a teachable moment for his latest epistle from Hollywood? This is Rob Long with Martini Shot. I knew a writer once who, after a long, and I mean years-long, production deal, found out it was not going to be renewed. And that sounds like a euphemism for being fired, and it sort of is, but it's not that exactly. Studios and networks have constantly changing business strategies. I'm tempted to say business models because that's the meaningless business jargon you hear more often than any other meaningless business jargon these days. But the basic business model of a studio doesn't really change. Get people to do something in front of a camera that you can sell for more than what you pay them. Well, that's pretty much it, and has been since Laurel and Hardy carried that piano all the way up those stairs. So the model is the same, but the strategy can shift. A studio may want to spend more money on one-hour gritty action drama writers because there's a big global market for those shows, or half-hour comedy writers because suddenly those are popular again, or maybe a streaming service will want writers who can develop complicated fantasy universes, or maybe everyone just decides to hire no writers at all, which is an increasingly popular option. Now, my writer friend was on the wrong side of that kind of strategy shift, and so in the nicest possible way, he was told by the president of the studio which was followed up by a chilling memo from a studio business affairs attorney that when his current deal was up in two months, he'd be free to pursue other opportunities, including, the CEO hoped, opportunities at that actual same studio. They were eager to be in business with him, he was told. They admired and respected his talent, he was told. They just didn't want to, you know, pay him. Well, they didn't want to be contractually obligated to pay him. They like him, but wanted the relationship to be on a project-by-project basis rather than a whopping multi-year contract commitment. So he sat in his office fuming about the heartlessness and short-sightedness of the studio CEO and not, which would have been more logical, about the changing landscape for televised entertainment. And he sulked for a month or two, during which time other writers with new deals and new projects would knock gingerly on the door to check out his office setup and measure the rooms and hold up paint chips. And a few weeks before his actual last day, he had had it. He told his assistant to start packing up everything. So this is it? His assistant asked. Yes, the writer replied. The deal is over? His assistant asked. Yes, the writer replied. Um, am I over? His assistant asked. Yes, the writer replied. See, in all of his sulking and fury and rage at a studio strategy shift at a basic and impersonal economic imperative, the writer forgot to sit his assistant down and say, hey, once this deal is over, I lose the office, the parking space, the free Diet Cokes, and the assistant. And all along, the assistant clearly thought, you know, I think he's going to take me with him wherever he goes. He'll probably pay me out of his own pocket for a while. But what his assistant didn't do was ask, because people tend not to ask questions if there's even a small voice inside of them telling them that they may not like the answer. So the writer felt fired by the studio, and the assistant felt fired by the writer. But the truth is, neither one was really fired. It's just that the sunny part of the business they had occupied for so long, warmed by the rays of the sunny money machine, had passed into shade. 
but both of them felt abused. And actually, in the story, the assistant should have asked. But the writer should have been more forthcoming because that's the nice thing to do, the considerate thing to do, the right thing to do. But especially because the assistant who told me this story a few days ago, is now a powerful development executive at a big streaming outfit, and the writer, apparently, is coming into pitch to his old assistant, who still hates him, next week. I mean, talk about a strategy change. The point is... You have to be prepared. A young writer called me the other day, and he was ecstatic. His first script had been set out by his brand-new agent, and it had been very well received. He was scheduled for meetings all over town, and he was excited. And that's how you can tell when someone is new to the business. There's a meeting, and they're excited about it. But he's a nice guy and a good writer, and I make it a policy to be nice and encouraging and supportive to all young writers on the theory that at some point, when they've hit it really big, they may feel that they owe me somehow. And when my career is fading and returning to its original dust, which might be moments from now, they'll remember me and maybe hire me even though I'm old and lose track of my thoughts. Now, I recognize that being nice and supportive for some people is a character thing. They're nice and supportive anyway, so why not direct that to up-and-coming writers? But to me, it's less about being a nice guy and more about needing a retirement plan. So, Two days later, my young friend, now a good deal older, at least spiritually, calls me up to complain. He said, you know, a couple of people actually started the meeting by saying they didn't really respond to the story. They just liked the writing. What does that even mean? It means, I said, that they may not have responded to this particular piece, or maybe it's just not something that they're in the market to buy, but they think you're a good writer and that you're about to write something amazing, and they all want to know you and track you. Like a hunter tracks an animal, he asked. Exactly, I said. And then I said some more encouraging words, at which point the young writer thanked me for being supportive and for being a friend. And then he said something about how nice it was that I wasn't tracking him like a hunter tracks an animal, at which point I had to cut the conversation short. You should get to work, I said. I have a business model that's impossible to change. I didn't say, but I thought it. And that's it for this week. Next week, we will fake laugh. For Martini Shot, this is Rob Long. And next Thursday is the date for that next episode. Tomorrow, it's Culture File Likes.